Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of What in the Wellness. As always, I love to hear your feedback, suggestions for new topics, questions that you would like answered, maybe even a guest that you would like to have on, or maybe you'd like to be the guest yourself. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach me by email or message. Uh, You guys know where to do that. Now, let's get started for today's episode. Welcome back. Um, In this episode, I am just really overjoyed to talk to Jen Waller of um, The Me Project. And she is a personal trainer and also has a master's degree in counseling. She has a creative approach um, and her unique combination of skills allow her to individualize training um, or transformation programs specifically to each client. And in this discussion, we're really talking about um, what it looks like with 2020 um, and beyond and how weight loss is really an inside job and her story of how she kind of went from just purely training to really connecting with mind and body, trauma work, and behavior change. And it's just a really great discussion. We talk a lot about um, actionable things that we can do and starting small. Um, it's a really, really great episode Um, When this episode airs, actually, uh, shortly thereafter, on Friday and Saturday, she's going to be hosting a summit called The Weight Escape uh, Holiday Edition, and that weight being, in parentheses, thinking about the weight that we have, um, not just physically, but our mental and emotional weight that we carry, Um, and that is just going to be a really great summit. I'm actually a part of that as well, so if you're listening to this episode as it airs um, on Thursday, December... um, third, then you are going to want to go ahead and head right on over. I'll add the link in the show notes to the summit because you're going to want to be a part of that also. So let's go ahead and get started on this episode. I'm so excited for you to hear it. And I know that you're going to want to know more about Jen and her work as well. So let's go ahead and get started. And I am excited for you to hear it. Hey everybody, welcome back to What in the Wellness, a global perspective on integrative health. I'm Ansley Knopf, your host, and with me today, I have Jen Waller. She is part of the Me Project with Prime Fitness Incorporated. She's a certified personal trainer who specializes in weight loss and transformation and holds a master's degree in counseling. Jen's creative approach and unique combination of skills allow her to individualize training or transformation programs, especially to each client. Her philosophy of 1% better every day provides a supportive relationship with her clients in moving forward and continually improving body and mind to achieve personal success. Some of her interests and accomplishments include Ironman Canada, Personal Fitness Pro Trainer of the Month, best-selling author, a medical exercise specialist, twist conditioning, TRX, and a kinesiologist. Oh my goodness, Jen, that is a whole list of things. Um, I'm so excited you're here. Anything I missed? Tell us more about yourself. No, you haven't really missed anything. I think it's just, sometimes it's interesting when you hear it back. <laughs> I know. You're, you're like, is that me? <laughs> yeah, your journey of how you got there. And I think it just really speaks to the human condition, actually, of, of that, that inner sense of, is this enough? And am I enough? Um, so sometimes it's really interesting to kind of be on this receiving end and kind of hear all these pieces, but to also know how, you know, all these pieces come together and make one good puzzle. So it's just, it's kind of interesting hearing it. 
I love that. Well, it obviously these are things that listed interest and accomplishments. I love when you have to put that down and you're like, oh, but think about all the things that went into even doing something like an Ironman Canada. Um, and you're okay. So personal trainer, I want to make sure I'm not missing yeah. anything here when I go through this personal trainer, master's degree in counseling. Um, you specialize in weight loss and transformation. You also are a mex medical exercise specialist. That's a lot of things. Um, what do you do currently with all of those things and what brought you to doing what you do now from wherever you were when you started? Right. So I actually run a medically supervised program called the me project and it's the lifestyle management program. And it's interesting that you ask how we got there because I, you know, went out of, out of high school was supposed to be on a, on an athletic scholarship, ended up with an injury. So didn't, didn't go to my school of choice, ended up staying locally at a local college and kind of jumped into a recreation diploma at the last second because I knew I loved sports. I knew like that was all I knew. So I was going to do this like diploma in leisure and sport management. And as I kind of started working through it, I realized that, you know, it was a lot of contract work. It was a lot of politics and I mm -hmm. do not like politics and I'll say that out loud. Um, <laughs> and I, I quickly morphed into like an exercise science diploma. So like a two-year program. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is I was coaching a girl's soccer team at the time. And because I wasn't able to play, I wanted to give back. And I had this group of 16-year-old girls who, you know, I was only four years older then, who were lost and they didn't have a coach. And if we didn't step up and coach, they wouldn't have had a team. And I was just thinking back to like, you know, how important it was for me at like 14, 15, 16 to have somewhere that I belonged and to kind of, to not only have somewhere to go and enjoy the sport, but to, to learn some life skills. Yeah. And so I started coaching and, and the coaching certification was great. But then I was taking these exercise science classes and I was looking at what I was doing coaching and going, well, why? Like, why are we doing these with these girls? These are great drills, but why? What is the purpose? And are we really helping them and their bodies really move better? And mm -hmm. it kind of just morphed from that. And then I graduated with a kinesiology degree and it was all about the movement and I was going to change the world, you know, like I was going to help people look better. I was going to help them feel better. I was going to help them be in less pain and it kind of got monotonous. And then through another crazy series of events, I ended up going back to school and getting a master's in counseling because I was like, nope, uh, this is too boring for me. I don't want to do it. I'm more interested in the human condition because I've got these people that are in pain and I know how to help them, but they don't want to do it. Mm. So I'm going to go now figure out how to help people do it, right? Like the patients or clients that I'd had were depressed. They were, you know, and so I was like, that's what I want to go fix. And so I ended up getting a master's in counseling and it was amazing. And I sort of still bumped up against that. Okay. But you know, I want to help and I want to do these things, but I still don't totally know how to motivate people. And then due to some unforeseen circumstances, my husband at the time was, was struggling with some serious mental health issues. And I found it really challenging to be at home dealing with that and then be at work dealing with that. Mm. And I, okay, I had a couple clients on the side and all of a sudden I was using some of the counseling skills to motivate the clients to do things. And I was like, this is working. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> like, I'm not sitting, sitting all day. I'm actually up and I'm moving with people and I'm making a difference. And then I quickly kind of realized that that counseling skill actually was just as valuable for somebody covering back from an, uh, an injury, somebody coming off of a surgery, somebody who knew that maybe they needed to lose a little bit of weight, but just didn't even know how to get started. And the whole idea of exercise 
was painful or stressful or intimidating. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, there is a whole bunch of people out there that are never going to come into the studio. They're never going to come into a gym. And those are the people that need us the most. And it's sort of through a process of a couple of years, I realized that, you know, movement and, and rehab or weight loss really is very little exercise and a lot of what's going on with the lifestyle and the, you know, the mentality and the motivation mm-hmm. and all of those pieces. So I kind of brought them together and through meeting one of our local surgeons here, um, we do all the weight loss surgery for our province. Yes, I'm in Canada. And um, to get weight loss surgery here, you're looking at a three-year weight loss. And there are some people that are so, unfortunately, so sick and struggling with so many conditions along with their obesity. If you tell them they got to wait three years, like you've just taken all the hope away. So Mm -hmm. we kind of created this program called the Me Project because it really is about people taking themselves on as a project, but not just investigating the weight is we address nutrition, we address movement, we address those lifestyle, emotional, and all of those pieces that kind of come together and really help somebody, you know, become a healthier, you know, better version of themselves. Wow. And the weight is kind of a bonus to it, but it works. That's like a bonus. It's like, hey, it started out as the whole thing, but now it's just a bonus because look at all this other stuff. (laughs) That is so amazing. I, there's so much in that story. I just want to like pick out all these little things and be like, and what about this? And what about this? Um, but we, ha- we have some questions that I know like yeah. we prepared ahead of time that I, I just want to make sure we get to, but I know you guys, as I've said before, with some other, some other interviews, if you have questions specifically, um, you can submit those. And if we're really lucky, Jen might come back and um, do another episode on some of those questions or topics specifically that you want to know more about. So please submit those. And um, yeah, I just, okay, so before we dive into the the what, I want to, if, you, if you're okay with this, um, I want to dive a little bit more into your perspective as a counselor when you're talking about knowing, because I've seen this a lot even um, just from my years of coaching experience, knowing the what is not really the problem most of the time. Um, it's, and it's not even necessarily the how, it's somewhere in between knowing a what and knowing a how because there's multiple ways to approach things and to do things but it's something I ask often and it's that question of I just don't feel motivated I need motivation and then there's this thought process of action brings motivation which sounds great and there's a lot of science around like just doing the thing gives you more motivation but when we're talking about people with chronic illness and and these different problems doing the thing is it feels impossible and sometimes it feels insurmountable because of pain because of consistent pain because of chronicness because of depression because of these things where in the world do you even get to start between they're not motivated because of the thing but then just doing the thing is also really hard to do to get to the motivation piece like how where do you start spinning the wheel, I guess, or like, how do you even get started with there? Cause it's like, that feels like a really wide chasm of just, I can't, right. Yes. Because of both of those. So how, how do you even get started with that? I think, I mean, it's interesting cause I think each person is a little bit different. Um, you know, we all kind of are, like you say, coming from different places, whether it's pain, whether it's depression, whether it's, you know, a lot of things, 
I think as a human being, our human condition is sometimes, like you say, we get wrapped up in all of these things we have to do. And so what I really like to focus on with clients is, is picking one, um, you know, like, yes, maybe their goal is eventually, if we're going to go to weight loss, is that they'd like to lose 50 plus, maybe 100 plus pounds. We, I really bring them back and say, okay, you know, in the next four weeks, like, what is realistic to you? And yes, you know, I think as a human being, we tend to think, oh, I've got to change my diet and I've got to change my, and I've got it and I've got it and I've got it. And then all of a sudden, all these goddess become so big. No kidding. We're shutting ourselves down. <laughs> like really like it's, it is, it's too much. It's too crazy. And so what I really like to do is focus with, with people and say, okay, like what's one thing we can do? What's one thing that maybe you don't feel like doing and maybe it's scary and maybe it's whatever, but what's that one little thing? And maybe it's something as simple as, you know, I am going to intentionally have one glass of water a day for the next seven days. Like it could be that simple because like you say, sometimes you have to do the action to get the motivation. And, you know, if you're somebody that's struggled with anything, whether it's school, whether it's, you know, weight loss, whether it's your health, we are so good at failing and seeing our failures that we almost have to teach our brains that we are allowed to win. So we literally chunk it down to what is one thing you can do over the next couple of days or the next week and have some success at. So maybe that's like, seriously, one glass of water intentionally. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for people it's one minute of movement and that movement can be, you know, if it's seated because, you know, they've got a hip injury or there is weight issues where they can't stand. And we kind of come up with that together on that one thing that they're going to feel good about, but that no matter what happens, they can accomplish during that week. And then once that starts happening, then it's like, okay, how do you feel about that? Do we need to stay there or are you ready for that next step? And then literally like almost building a staircase, like one Mm -hmm. step, one small step, but really focusing on this is the step you're in. This is where you're going to stay. Because as soon as you start saying like, okay, and now I've got to change and now I've got to change, the brain just can't actually handle it. And that's why, like, you know, some diet programs and things people can do for one or two weeks, mm-hmm. but then life gets in the way. So yeah. it's literally backing it up and it seems slow at first, but that's really where true change happens. And it's also keeping that self-integrity of I made a commitment that I'm going to do this and I'm following through. Because we are brutal at following through for ourselves. For ourselves. Yep. We'll do anything for anybody else. For ourselves. (laughs) I actually, I kind of want to stay here for just a second because I, um, I noticed in your bio, even you put, which I love, um, and I use often and it's amazing how much resistance it gets. And it's that philosophy of 1% better every day. And it's like 1% can't possibly make that big a difference. Um, that's one of the resistances that I get. And then the other resistance is, um, it's not even something that's conscious, it's subconscious. It's breaking it down, like as small as you're talking about, like an intentional glass of water every day, because 1% when people are like, what's one thing you can do, you know, to be 1% better every day. And I just want to feel it out and see, and they come back with like this huge chunk of something. I'm like, there's no way that's, I don't think you understand 1%. I feel like that's like, 10% or 25%, like that's so much more than where you're at. How, how is a good way or what is a good way um, for people to start understanding what 1% actually looks like? Because I feel like that's a, a disenfranchised 
disenfranchisement. I can't, I'm like thinking of all the words at once um, of, of addressing where we actually are and where we want to be and what that 1% actually looks like. Because you're talking about one glass of water intentionally, one minute of movement. If you're like, that's not enough, that's not going to make a difference. I'm not even going to bother. But it's like, where are you now? And where, like, what does 1% actually look like then? Because for some people that never drink water, that only ever have maybe like soda or coffee right. all day or something like that, a glass of water is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, so like when you're describing 1%, how do you, how do you get that across to clients? What 1% actually looks like and how does 1% add up? I mean, is it, 1% plus 1% plus 1% or does that add up like how do, how do you I don't know I guess I just have so many questions about this so <laughs> take it away <laughs> I think it's interesting because I think like that's such a vital conversation that I do have with people because you're right like they do come back with this list mm -hmm. and then I was just like okay pick one and and it's like this blank look well what do you mean just one <laughs> what do you mean just one and I said well how many like sometimes I'll ask well how much of this are you doing right now on a daily basis well none so why, like, why do you think all of a sudden you're going to do 10? Oh, well, but that's not enough. And then I like to get into, well, why is that not enough? Says mm -hmm. who? Like who, what is this expectation that you have of yourself and where did it come from? And sometimes that opens up like this big box of, you know, well, like, but if I don't do this, then I'm not good enough. You know, and again, says who, like who defines what we're good at and what we're not. And that's kind of what I come down to is if you're someone, let's use a water example, who's not drinking any water and you're having one glass of water a day for seven days, let's say like that's a seven day pattern that you've just started. And more than likely on that eighth day, whether that's in your agreement or not, you're going to do it because it's become a pattern. And in that seven days, you might even find that you're thirsty and you pour a second glass of water. And you hadn't been doing any of that at all. Like mm -hmm. you say, it might've been pop, it might've been coffee. And so when you intentionally train the brain and you intentionally start making these steps, amazing things start to happen. And, and it kind of starts to snowball on its own. Or we find, okay, at the end of a week, if it didn't happen, okay, no problem. Don't go in, like, let's not beat yourself up. Maybe it, either A, it wasn't the right choice to start with, or did we start with too much even? Mm. And sometimes it is that really like stepping back like 1% is 1%. But if it's something that you're not doing, one glass of water is actually a hundred percent change. If you're not doing any of it. Wow. That first, like that first day, if it's a pattern that you don't have, it's actually a 1% change. And then you're just maintaining it. That's and crazy. also, like we said, you know, teaching our brain to believe ourselves that when I make this commitment, I am going to do it because we can come up with list after list after list of all the promises we've made to ourselves. Like the diet starts Monday. Like, you know, I'm never going to drink pop again. Like, you know, all the other things that we can do. Our brain doesn't even believe us when we make commitments anymore. It's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But we do it knowing that we're not going to follow through. So it's this new rigor and this new, you know, if you want to call it self-love or this new commitment to self that I'm actually worth this change, even if it doesn't feel very big right now. Mm. But once I start to believe it, then amazing thing can start to happen. But yeah, that one change, 
that first time is a hundred percent change. Wow. So guys, if you weren't, if you were not driving, um, I'd go ahead and write that down in a sticky note that when you make that 1% change that very first time, that's a hundred percent change. If you've never been doing it before, as she just said, that needs to be on a sticky note. That needs to be wherever you're going to see it, put it on your phone background because that changes the game. I think hugely to say that out loud like that. And then to start thinking about that because it goes from 1% isn't enough to oh my goodness, but if I make all these 1% better changes every, every day and I'm adding it, I'm adding it, I'm adding it, then pretty soon I've made huge amounts of change that will make huge amounts of progress. Um, I love that so much. And I also love that you dig into, well, why is that not enough? Because that's my next question. I was like digging a little deeper. I'm like, why though? Um, so, okay. So counseling, counseling backgrounds give you like a whole different set of tools in your toolbox to dig in. Um, if I, if I had one thing that I probably would, would probably pick your brain on the most, um, it would be the relation because of just your background and your history and then who you work with now and the, the demographic of people you get access to. Um, and a lot of the studies and things that have been coming out now, the topic is centered a lot, especially with 2020, around the relation between trauma and all of the things. Um, I don't even want to necessarily say like, like weight gain or weight loss and anything particular. It's just health in general, mental health, physical health, and then all the parts of those things come into play with, okay, where are we at with our health and with our weight and with all these different things? Is there a connection um, from your experience with trauma and all the things? And if so, what are the most typical signs that you see to pinpoint those connections between the two? So the challenging part of this question is it's huge. Right. <laughs> so it's not again. That's why I'm like, um, <laughs> let's ask it and then we can like frame it in. <laughs> yeah, let's see if I can maybe give you sort of like two examples. One is like basic trauma. So we are all facing trauma with 2020. Our right. lives have changed. We have completely lost our power. Mm -hmm. Like we cannot control this situation. It is something external to us. So we get to decide how we react within it. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, there's a number of ways to go down this, but you know, it's causing stress. We know that stress is stress, negative, positive stress is stress. You know, and that, that's, a, that could be a whole other podcast for you. Right. I'm like that's a whole thing right there. <laughs> Stay tuned. So, yeah, we've lost control over how we do our lives, how we interact with people right now. We're isolated. You know, yeah, I mean, these platforms are amazing. Like, I'm so glad more and more of these kind of things are happening for connection. Mm -hmm. um, but it is traumatic, and it is traumatic on the, you know, on, on life as a whole, which makes us more irritable. It does, a, um, you know, depression, like, it does a million things. And I think what's really interesting with, with trauma and stress, so on a, on a surface level, like not deep trauma, but trauma stress, we have ways to cope with it. Mm -hmm. Some of them are great, some of them not so much. So one of the biggest questions I'm getting right now is about the COVID-15 is what they're calling it in this area. I don't know if, if you've heard that, but a lot of people, I have. <laughs> seven months in, a lot of people have found they've gained about 15 pounds. And so what I really like to investigate that with, and I, and I consider that sort of like, this is a traumatic situation, um, but it goes back to those coping skills. And sometimes it's as simple as like family values growing up, food, 
equals comfort. Mm -hmm. So on an unconscious level, we start eating more hearty foods, more warm, rich, you know, things like that, that make us feel good inside. For some of us, the lack of connection brings up an emptiness. Mm -hmm. So we're using food to feel full and to feel satisfied and to feel, you know, connected with something. Um, I think, like I said, I think there's so many different, different avenues, but this on this kind of, on the surface level, when I, when I work with people on that, we start making those connections of, of what are your behaviors right now and where did they come from? Mm-hmm. And, and what is it trying to serve? Is it trying to serve safety? Is it trying to serve, you know, getting rid of that emptiness? Is it trying to serve, I need to feel connected with something and I'm lonely. Um, you know, like one, one thing I love to use with people, whether there's trauma or not, if there's any eating things going on is something called HALT, H-A-L-T. So before, when I feel like I want to go get something to eat, especially if it's not a meal time, to stop and ask, am I actually hungry? Mm-hmm. Am I angry, irritated, stressed? Am I lonely or am I tired or bored? Because usually emotional eating will fall under one of those things. And that just brings the awareness up of what am I doing? Like, why am I eating? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, that plays a, a, a level kind of on a surface. If you want to go deep, deep into trauma, because <laughs> that can get very complicated. Um, a lot of it comes back to protection. You know, mm-hmm. if, if somebody was perhaps sexually assaulted or, or even physically abused, Mm-hmm. having an extra layer or two or three or four of protection softens the blow. It gives you a sense of safety. Um, and it does a lot of things for the body on that subconscious level. And it is really, really hard to let go of. Really, really hard to let go of. Yeah. So that again, is probably a whole nother podcast episode that we can do. And then I'll just give like a full trigger, <laughs> trigger warning before and a disclaimer and all of that stuff. Um, because that's something that I'm, extremely interested in spending a lot of time with, especially, um, with my, my specialties line and like pre and postnatal care, perinatal care, women's health, um, a lot regarding postpartum, um, trauma and perinatal mental health. And like, where does that fall in? And so like trauma there, and then being an abuse survivor myself, um, trauma, being a trauma informed coach and coaching from that perspective is always really important. Um, oftentimes, very much connecting with counselors, um, both international, online, local, so I can refer people as quickly as possible when they're ready. Um, or if they, you know, bring something up because being trauma informed means that typically people will feel connected and they'll share something and I'll be like, ah, well, this is as far as we can go here. And you're going to need to go to this for this next level to dig in deeper to that, because, um, I'm finding that very much so. Um, trauma is at the root either like you said like that kind of like basic um there with the stress but very often it is it is a lot deeper than that um and that's just that's a whole thing there um one of the things that might actually be coming out with this series is going to be the uh, connection with uh, my friend that's a social worker and she works with childhood trauma um and i believe it was the ace study that came out um, with that, I may not be using the right acronym there because it's been a little bit since we did that interview, but um, that was very, very interesting as well. And so it was just, it's a lot surrounding that. Um, when you start working with people and you've noticed that through their intake that maybe it's beyond 
that basic stress and it is deeper in the trauma. Do you spend more time then still working on like the 1% side of like that glass of water every day? Or do you kind of have to move and shift a little bit into digging into those, like the roots there before you can really start? Like, is there an, is there an either or, or is it a both and? I think it's a both and because, um, you know, sometimes for people, if their trauma is buried really, really, really deep, or they haven't connected that their current situation may even be connected, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of got to work with people where, where they're at. So there's, it's not about right or wrong. It's what's in best interest of this person right now for where they're at and where they'd like to go. And so when we talk about sort of like, you know, in our program, the lifestyle management is we do get into the emotional piece. We do get into the, the sleep, the cortisol, like we get into hormones even about how those impact the body and, and how they relate back to stress, which, you know, kind of gets back to trauma. And it's, I can think of one particular client right now who was with me for nine months before we even got into, there was a possibility of trauma. She just kept saying, I don't understand where this is coming from. I just know this is how I feel. And it's like, okay, so let's just let that be what it is. We don't need to push it. We don't need to hammer it. We don't need to beat it over the head, but let's not pretend it's not there either. So let's just let that sit there nicely and we will keep (laughs) moving. And we, you know, like, but it's, it's the body, especially with trauma won't open because we push it either. Like Mm -hmm. we can do more damage trying to really hammer something away, but you also don't want to get into those patterns of, okay, well, let's sweep it under the rug because I can't, I can't name it or I can't figure it out. So it's like, let's let that be and and acknowledge that it's there and it's, it's valid. The feelings are real and we don't need to figure it out today. And when Mm -hmm. things start coming up, then we know, okay, now this gets to come and sit in front of us and, and we get to address it. But that doesn't mean we can't make these changes or, like you say, make lifestyle changes. And, you know, somebody who's done a lot of work with trauma, I do believe that a lot of emotions and things are stored on a cellular level and movement does wake things up mm-hmm. <laughs> that people don't <laughs> expect. And like I said, it doesn't always happen right away. Um, and so that's really important for people to feel like, you know, like you say, you have a friend that's a social worker, like the people that they're working with in their lives, they have to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that connection with your coach or your nutritionist or your trauma counselor or whoever it is, that, that relationship is vital to make that safety container to be able to go into those things. Yeah, I love that. Two, two things I just want to re-highlight that you've mentioned here in this piece. Um, one, that movement does bring about things um, for sure. So, and I've noticed that so often working with clients, either in a session um, something seems to almost be really released. And sometimes it's a certain exercise. Sometimes it's hitting a certain stress level um, with the body. And then other times it's been because of the lifestyle changes, because they are making healthy. A lot of times there's like friction, even in a relationship um, that starts to happen when they start taking care of themselves and putting, finding more confidence in these things as well. Um, which again, like, like we've said like three times already, that's probably a whole other episode by itself. Um, but the other thing I want to highlight is that if you are sitting with po- the possibility of trying to connect with something that doesn't really have a name that you know it exists, but you can't quite figure it out. And maybe you're just not really ready to dive into that yet. Doesn't mean that you have to put all these lifestyle changes on hold, um, that sometimes they'll actually help each other out getting one and the other resolved together. So I really appreciate that because that can feel like a huge block. Um, if you feel like you can't 
you're like, oh, I don't know what this is. And you feel like you have to resolve that before you can move forward. Um, in that vein, um, what would you suggest to people that know that there is something that's maybe sitting there unnamed on its chair? Um, what are some of the best ways for them to start moving forward and, and making those lifestyle changes um, for themselves, knowing about, while still being aware and mindful that that's there? Uh, first of all, not to judge it. Like we, we like to make meaning for things. We are human beings. We like to make a meaning for things. So, and it's hard, but if you can stay neutral about it, about, okay, there is something there. Maybe it's painful, but it doesn't mean it's bad. Maybe it's stressful, but I'm not going to assign a, okay, it's bad. It's too much. It's too hard. It's, I'm not actually going to attach a meaning to it other than it's there for whatever reason, I'm not ready to, to go there. And when I am, you know, I'm going to set myself up in a place that I am safe and accepted and whatever, whatever I need to feel safe to be able to go there. But I think it's so important. Like, even like you say, like with those lifestyle things, we make meaning of things so quickly. So it's like, oh, you know, like you say about the water, but is, is drinking one glass of water enough? Well, that's placing meaning on it. Mm -hmm. Is exercising only a few minutes enough? Well, that's placing meaning on it. And the more we can kind of withdraw from that and, and stay neutral of, you know, this is something that's going to help me move forward. It doesn't matter how much right now. Right. It's about, you know, let's place the meaning that it's a positive step forward. That's what matters about it. Um, Love that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, if we can kind of say like, this is just, a, this is just something that's there. I'm not mm -hmm. going to make it bad. I'm not going to make it good. And I can still do these things. And I think that's why having, whether it's a good friend, whether it's a health coach, whether it's whatever, someone to bounce those ideas off of, because they can also hold that in a container and say, yeah, like, that's great. You're aware that it's there. And when it's ready, it will start to show you signs. Um, and how can I support you into to picking something that you can feel good about moving forward? Maybe your first step isn't exercise. Maybe your first step has nothing to do with your nutrition. Maybe it's sleep. Like, but it's being able to bounce these things off of somebody so that you can actually feel like I am taking a step forward in my health. Mm. And it doesn't have to look a certain way. Like... <laughs> that's what scares me about weight loss shows that were on TV. It's like, there are, like you say, there are so many different ways that are outside our little thinking mm -hmm. and they're all great. Like we, we just get, no, that's not right. Well, who says maybe that's right for you right now with what you're dealing with. Right. A step forward is a step forward. Yeah. A step forward is a step forward. And it's like, that's, that's all you need it to be. Um, one thing that I've noticed, and it's just my, my evolution as a coach from a beginner coach um, to where I am now. And it's just, I would, I would learn something and I would be like, okay, this is, this is the way, you know? Um, and so I would be like, okay, guys, this is the way. And then I'd learn something new or new studies would come out and be like, okay, this is the way. And it was just, it was very much like here. Um, and I was doing my best to give the best information that I could to my clients, but my evolution as a coach really happened when I realized that almost almost all things could be the way, um, depending on the client and the situation and letting go of me being the one that had to say, this is the way and say, what is the way that you need to take right now for you in this situation in this time? It might be different next week. It might be different next month and that's okay. Um, that changed everything. 
um, for me as a person, for me as a coach, for me even just interacting with people in my day-to-day life to not, like you say, assign a meaning necessarily to everything and say, well, this is good, this is bad, I did this well, I did this not well. Um, And I found that reflective even in places like showing up for yoga Um, because a lot of times, or a different type of training session even, sometimes I will show up and my body is, we're able to give and receive um, certain things. And other days, um, the language used often in yoga classes, that position or that posture or whatever might not be available to you today. Um, And that can be really frustrating if you're in that mindset of assigning meaning to everything because you're like, oh, what did I do wrong? Why am I not flexible enough today for that? Um, And it's just, it just is. It just is. It's not available to you that day. Um, And so I think that language is really important to surrounding that, which I'm sure you see often is shifting that language on what we, what we use to describe ourselves and the things that we're doing. So. For sure. Yeah. Somebody actually, I mean, it's something I'm, exploring a lot with neuro-linguistic programming and language. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned in the past couple of years is what you put after the words I am. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> are you guys ready for this? Take a deep breath. Cause I feel like she's going to, we're going to pause and she's going to like roll with this for a second. Just brace yourselves. <laughs> so, you know, whether you're spiritual, whether you're, it doesn't matter, but you know, as meaning-making human beings, if you put the words, I am overweight, I am a failure, I am weak, I am, you know, whatever that is, then you're going to find things in your life to prove that. Mm -hmm. And you're going to keep growing that. And you're going to keep, just like you say, with the motivation, sometimes it starts a little bit. That language can also grow. And then it makes you say more and more and more insurmountable or more I can't or more like barriers in the way and we really need to watch what we say to ourselves because when we start to say things like I am possible I am strong I am capable I am smart then you find things to go along the lines with that too like the brain doesn't know how to detach from negative and positive so it's so, so crucial. Like the word, whatever word comes after I am is probably the most important language change you could ever make. Wow. Like that sounds every- so simple and yet so challenging. <laughs> I catch myself. Like don't, I'm not, I'm aware, but I'm not perfect. And, but it's, it's true. Like whatever you put after that, like if you identify yourself as overweight and that's all you're ever going to see. And then it limits the possibility to change your, like you say, to change that perception into something really different. Mm. Wow. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, one of the questions that we talked about talking about, which I feel like is kind of where we're at now, um, is a lot of this, you're talking about aware, we're talking about mindfulness. I feel like awareness, um, and mindfulness, there's probably some nuances there, but just being aware, aware, mindful eating, awareness of our habits, halt, um, language, noticing, noticing and naming these, all of these things, um, involve self-awareness, self-reflection, um, digging in deep, introspection, work. Um, I feel like everything is rooted from the inside out on both, like you said, like maybe like a spiritual soul level or even from the inside out from a cellular level, everything starts within and then comes out. And one of my huge passion, like little pet project things I love to dig into a lot is um, 
the gut brain connection and, and gut health and gut permeability in that as well. So when I say introspection, it's not just like uh, purely a mindful kind of, you know, abstract state, but also a very physical introspection into what's going on in my gut, in my cells, in my body. What's the state of inflammation? Where's my immune system at? Um, but it all involves taking time to be aware, even something as simple as, you know, meditation or journaling revol revolves around you taking time away from everything else and saying what's happening in me right now. Um, how do you even start that journey? Like, how do you start taking the time to begin introspection on any of those levels? I, I mean, I think it's different for everybody. I think that's the challenge. I think as yeah. a society, we are so disconnected right here. <laughs> and I mean that I mean that sincerely. Like as a society, we're taught, we spend so much time in our heads thinking, analyzing, figuring out, you know, controlling, like what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And we have disconnected from our body so, so much. Or somebody who's in pain, you kind of mm -hmm. learn to disconnect that so you don't feel the pain, whether okay. it's emotional, physical, you know, all of those things. So I think it's a practice. I think, you know, some of us are aware for different reasons. Like if you've had an injury, let's say that you've had to rehab, like some of those are some of my favorite clients because they've maybe spent most of their life so disconnected. Now they have to be connected because we are literally manipulating or moving their bodies in a certain way. And it's like relearning how to move. Well, we have to relearn how to connect again. Mm. And so, you know, it's, again, it's not about judging, but if it's something that you're not used to doing, like see if you can connect with like something as simple, like you say, as a yoga practice or a meditation. A meditation is a meditation, whether it's 30 seconds or 30 minutes. And I think same thing, it's that 1%, right? We get thinking that we have to do a lot to make it worthwhile. Well, if you're not doing it at all, <laughs> seconds is a huge change. And if you're not somebody that's been connected, 30 seconds might make your head want to explode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like <laughs> too much. <laughs> yeah. And it's about giving yourself that grace and saying, okay, well, I'm going to commit to just 30 seconds or whatever I feel, I feel. And, you know, I, I struggled with meditation. I thought it was hoo hoo and, and silly. And I was like, I don't have time for this. Like, <laughs> why? Um, and literally I, I committed to trying it for 14 days, one minute. And I can't even tell you all the places my head went, but I just let it. I was like, you know what? My practice is not to control this. My practice is just to notice in one minute what happens. And yeah, the first couple of days, I, it, that minute felt like hours. I'm not joking. Like Longest like minute hours. ever. <laughs> totally. And then like after a couple of days, I sat there and I'm like, oh, my back hurts. Oh, I'm itchy. Oh, but that was a new connection mm. because I wasn't spinning in my thoughts. I now was actually feeling sensations in my body and so it's just it's just a practice and that may be the craziest thing for something somebody else yeah you know yeah. it could be something totally different that gets somebody into their body but again it's that it's that willingness to willingness to do something different mm -hmm. and if you don't like it you don't have to do it again right <laughs> like there's you don't have to start something and then just do it if you don't like it necessarily like you're it's, you're free to choose <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's like you say, like it, connecting with a coach or connecting with like trying yoga or, you know, some people meditate just even in the shower, they just mm -hmm. take deep breaths 
and they just let themselves be. Like it doesn't have to look like what we think it's supposed to look like. Oh, God. Sometimes the shower is like the best place, man, because no one's bothering you. <laughs> the best thoughts in the shower, as crazy as that is. And of course I can't write them down, but you know, it's, it's allowing time for something different to happen is I guess mm-hmm. how I would define meditation is, is somehow disrupting the crazy pattern or the busy pattern or the chaos pattern, whatever you want to call it for something different to enter. Oh, I love that. I love that because it, it creates a different framework around it, like the purpose of it. It's not necessarily to um, just be still for the sake of being still, but it's like creating space, allowing that time for something different to happen. Because one of my, I can't really trademark it, but if I could, I would. Um, it would be nothing changes if nothing changes. Because, you know, what what is the definition of insanity? It's repeating the same thing over and over again, which is something that people use a lot. I don't use it as much because I feel like insanity can be one of those things that um, is, a, is a sensitive topic, depending on who you're working with. But I do think it's true that nothing changes if nothing changes. So creating space for something different to happen, I think is a beautiful way to describe making any of these changes, any of these small changes, and especially to bring awareness and connection within the body. Um, an interesting thing, and I don't, you probably have come up with something like this with your clients, is the thought of asking people to do something as simple as in the summer, maybe it's something cold in the winter, maybe something warm, Um, but sitting and actually doing nothing other than like drinking their cup of tea or coffee and actually fully embracing that sensation of what does it smell like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? And just like connecting with that because we do so many things, not even thinking about it. And I ask people all the time, I'm like, what kind of coffee do you like? And it, barring that it might be like some sort of really fancy like Starbucks drinks with like six pumps of this and whatever that, um, just actual coffee and they don't know. Um, and I'm like, oh, it makes such a big difference to me how you prepare it, what type of coffee grind it is, where it comes from, all these things. And they're like, I'm like, I know I sound like a coffee snob, but it's not that. It's that when I have coffee, I want to really be able to enjoy it as like from start to finish, from the whole experience, whether that's I have the time sometimes to play around with a French press or an espresso maker, that's usually for the weekend. Um, or if it's the like even just a Keurig, I want it to be a good cup of coffee because I really want to enjoy it. That took me time to get to because it used to be all about efficiency. What's the fastest, cheapest, best way for me to get caffeine into my body so I can go? Now my whole perspective around that is different that was a practice. It was a practice to be present with something and to be like, okay, I'm allowed to fully enjoy this moment with this cup of coffee or tea or whatever, or glass of cold water, whatever it is. Um, And even something like that was very meditative for me for a while because the thought of sitting alone and doing nothing freaked me out. Um, But I could enjoy a cup of like I was still doing something um so sometimes it's bridging that gap too of like just fully enjoying an experience I found for me at least was a good way to start and then after that I moved to like um yoga and meditation and stuff (laughs) like um it took me it took me some time um wow okay so yes thoughts on that (laughs) I just wanted to give you like one of my favorite exercises to do with people. And it's just a slightly different way of looking at things. If you really are like, okay, meditation is so far beyond me. 
Right. But to bring that awareness to something different, and I love the analogy of the cup of tea or coffee, but you could sit there and go, okay, I'm giving myself 30 seconds and I'm going to write down all the good things about this cup of coffee. Ooh. Or if you're with a, like a, a friend or, or a spouse or a child, like whoever, have a conversation. Okay. You've got 30 seconds. Tell me all the good things about this cup of coffee. Okay. Done. Now you have 30 seconds. Tell me all the bad things about this cup of coffee. Done. Okay. Now you've got 30 seconds. Tell me what a five-year-old would see about this cup of coffee. Now tell me what an 80-year-old would see about this cup of coffee. Oh, wow. And now, and, and, but just to give different perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that, whether it's, you know, two rounds, three rounds, five rounds, six rounds, I mean, you can be as creative as you want to sit down and go, okay, so here's one cup of coffee and here's this many ways of looking at it. So if I can see a cup of coffee this many ways, then when I'm faced with a problem, chances are there's more than just the problem that's there. There's this many ways of looking at it. Oh. And so for me, what I like doing, especially if people struggle getting into their bodies, is just trying to find ways to show that there are different ways of looking at things. And sometimes that's enough to snap our brains into looking at or seeing or doing things in a different way. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's such a great exercise. I'm going to have to do a, try that now. <laughs> I want to try it. Like, especially the, uh, like the five-year-old and the 80 year old, like how would they see, like, that's just, tell that's it from the third creative. person. I love like, it. From the third person instead of the first person. So like Jen yeah. thinks this about the coffee, Jen sees this about the coffee, Jen feels this about the coffee. Oh wow. Just flips the brain into a different way of viewing the world. And it's really fascinating. I love that. That's amazing. All right. If you guys try this exercise, please send one or both of us a message and let us know what, what you did, with, what you did the exercise with, uh, what the results were, what you found, and maybe what that sparked. Because I know if I do this exercise, it's immediately going to turn. And that's actually, I, I get some of my most creative ideas watching TV sometimes um, with shows because they'll say something. I'll be like, oh, well, that means that if I do this, then that, and it just like connects in a weird way. And I, I pause shows so often to go, oh, I need to write this down because it, it, it tricked something into my brain to go, oh, oh, we, but if we think about this this way, then this happens. Um, so I love that. Um, you mentioned that you work with bariatric clients. Um, I feel like that's something we, we probably could spend a lot more time on in another podcast as well. But if there are people listening and um, maybe they follow a lot of people on Facebook and Instagram and they're always talking about tips like, you know, oh, to tone up, to lose those stubborn five pounds. And they're looking at, you know, their report and they've just had a conversation with the doctor and they're maybe looking at something like a surgery or a hip replacement or something major. And they're going, five pounds sounds cool, but I have a hundred plus pounds to lose. Um, where do you recommend that they get started? And is there information that they should go look and follow for support from that perspective of the journey versus maybe a different part or section of the journey that's very, very different from their starting place? I mean, I love that you asked that question because I think it, at the end of the day, what I found, and it, it's interesting because when we created the Me Project, it was originally supposed to be for people with probably 75 plus pounds to lose mm -hmm. who were usually facing other medical conditions. Mm -hmm. What we found is that it has addressed like basically the human condition anybody struggling with weight is following the same path it just looks a little bit different 
And I love that you asked the question because this takes me back into my journey of these are the people that would never have come to me as a trainer and asked for help. Mm-hmm. They've either been worked too hard. They've either had an injury. They're either, their self-esteem is so low. And I mean this like from a loving place that they don't even know where to ask for help or how. Um, or they're on their last, like, I don't know what else to try. And that is the kind of person that my heart opens up to, because honestly, if you go to a typical trainer, they do not have the education, they do not have the understanding, and they actually aren't a good fit. And that doesn't mean that they're not a great person. It's just not a fit for your situation, because the reality is, you know, like I said, I learned it is so much more than the exercise. Hmm. And you really need to get with someone or a program or something that really understands that, that can hold you in a safe container and explore those different options for you. I mean, I've had people that are not mobile. Mm -hmm. They can barely get up to the bathroom and back. And it's like their needs are very different than the next person. And it's like, how do we work together and work with your situation on those pieces to provide you hope and help get that ball rolling but in a way that's safe, effective, and fun for you. Like right. if it's not fun, you're not going to do it. And that's, it doesn't matter if you, like I say, if you have five pounds to lose or more, if it's not fun, you're not going to do it. And mm-hmm. I really don't want people to ever see exercise as a punishment right. for where they are. It's my job is to help you feel better, to move better and move towards whatever that health goal is. Um, and unfortunately, there's just not a lot of people out there that do it. I know some programs in the U.S. Um, that are very good medical centers that will address the medical piece, and they have counselors and things at that facility. I know your access to resources is a little bit different than ours um, <laughs> with healthcare and, and money and, <laughs> and things like that. Um, but I think that's like one of the most important questions you can ask because I don't know of a lot of really great places and I think that's why my heart is so where it is working with with patients clients that really want that lifestyle change because you know having someone blow a whistle in your head and limiting your calories to 1200 a day is just actually not okay it's just actually not okay (laughs) that's not okay but that's what the perception of tv has given us and it's the crap out of me you know it really really scares the crap out of me and you know, I, my biggest vision is to connect, you know, like even like we got to connect, but connect with other like-minded professionals that I know I can safely send somebody to or receive somebody from or guide, you know, because some, you know, some places have a lot of resources. This I think is a topic right now that, that has a lack of resources, yes. you know, the medical, like I said, the medical community is amazing. And, and your doctor is your, your support that way are going to be great. But my favorite conversations are even with the surgeon and he's like, well, I, I, I do the surgery. I don't know what you know. Right. It's, it's finding those resources where there is a really good connection between the different types of, um, you know, people that are going to support that journey. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, and I'm so grateful that there are people working together like like you guys are with the me project and willing to connect with other coaches so we can hopefully create some good resources some support some bridges um some things that are there for the community even um in myself working um just working to kind of turn the tide of the perception and the conversation and the narrative around even 
what the process is to go and get something done for like bariatric surgery because um i've worked with clients in the past and i've said this is how i approach things this is how i do things and they're very much like that's not enough um i need to get here i my goal is the surgery they said i have to lose x amount to get there so i'm going to do all this and i'm like but what if we just did these things and they're like no that's not enough and i i mean i've heard reports coming in from clients that i've greatly advise them to maybe not do um but i mean everything from like wrapping in saran wrap to like the military diet to these drastic drastic measures that i know are wreaking havoc on their mental and physical health but just turning the tide to hey these small things these one percent things can make a difference they will make a difference if they're done consistently and and progressively and then you can get to this point and then following up after the surgery as well is just as important. Um, so it's just been a thing that I've, I'm really glad that you're, you're doing the work that you're doing. You're having the conversations that you're having. Um, would love to have you back to talk about it more and more because we, I think there's like three different things. We're like, oh, that's a whole episode. Um, so we'll do it. We'll just have like a gen um, extravaganza and that'll be like an episode uh, for every topic that we, we put out there. But um, if you had a takeaway um, actionable piece of advice you'd want to leave our listeners with from from today. Um, what would that be? And then um, I will add into the show notes any additional resources and and things that we have talked about today that may or maybe we think of afterwards we want to add in there. But um, what what would an actionable piece of advice be for people listening today? I think don't be afraid to connect. I mean, like we we even talked just before we started recording. Like mm-hmm. you know, you have a mission, I have a vision we would never have met maybe had it not been for COVID or had it not been for, for our visions. And I think sometimes we're afraid to actually say like, I am stuck where I am, but I don't know what to do. And maybe your first phone call isn't going to get you to that place, but maybe it's that step towards, maybe it's connecting with someone that knows somebody, or maybe it's reaching out to one of us and having us connect you further. Um, but I think especially in times like COVID, I mean, my heart breaks for anybody sitting in their living room that may or may not be listening. Mm-hmm. that really wants or needs some support or feels like whether it's weight loss, whether it's something completely different, but I don't know what to do here. And I think I've tried everything or I think I've, you know, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to and I can only see my box or I can only see this and I need to learn how to see this. Like that's what scares me with COVID is this lack of connection. And so I think it's like, if I could, like any takeaway for this would be is don't be afraid of a connection that's unknown to you. Mm, definitely. Definitely. I mean, let's elaborate that. (laughs) That's how my whole journey from leaving university to where I am now. And and it's what I depend on moving forward. And I've met some of the most incredible people in the last couple months on Zoom. On Zoom. Yeah. (laughs) That's maybe on a professional capacity, but like on a personal capacity, there are so many things that I know now that I didn't know four months ago because I took a Mm -hmm. risk of connecting with someone I didn't know. And, you know, like maybe that's not the answer, but they might know somebody. So I think that would be, if I could say anything, especially right now where we're feeling so isolated is to get beyond that. It has to look this way and take that chance with something that maybe you don't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And definitely, definitely connect. And I know from, from the both of us, even if we're not necessarily the the right people for that, um, I have, and make it one of my, my tenets to, connect with as many people as possible and to have a huge um, 
professional network, a personal network, whatever it may be. So if I don't know, um, or I'm not the right person, I promise you, I will find somebody for you. And I can straight up tell you, obviously, Jen is well connected herself. Um, and I, I try to do that as internationally as I possibly can, because I do have international clients and um, listeners. So if you guys need somebody in your area, um, please reach out. If we don't know, we will connect with somebody we do know, and we will find that person. <laughs> but definitely, definitely connect. Um, and, and looking in, in different places. I mean, honestly, I think we found each other in a Facebook group. And it's just um, one of the best sources of connection that I've actually had. This is totally random. Um, during COVID has actually been, I'm a little bit obsessed. If you guys are seeing the video version, you've seen me sipping out of my baby Yoda coffee mug. Um, which is technically called the child from the Mandalorian for all of you like purist. Um, but I call him baby Yoda because that's what he looks like. And um, there's a baby Yoda Facebook group. And it's like all these people that have these little plush baby Yodas. And some of these people are like, seriously into it. I mean, they buy them clothes and dress them up and all these sorts of things. Um, I'm not quite that hardcore, mostly because I don't have the time. Um, but it brings me so much joy to know that there are so many people in the world that also love baby Yoda and to see like these different photos being posted, these stories that people are creating with them. Um, and honestly, it's like, it's just this beautiful burst of like innocence and joy and childlike play and wonder that these adults are having with these little baby Yoda toys and it being connected to those people. I don't know these people from Adam. I would never know them if I met them in person. Um, but to see that um, what actually happened was like a little subgroup happened. Um, just from this crazy little whatever baby Yoda group, some a lot of people realized that they were local in um, like a, a Texas area and they all went and took their little baby Yodas and met at a zoo. And now they're like lifelong friends and the real people are connecting like via phone and meeting up and stuff like that. And so it's just sometimes in the most unusual of places can you find the best connections. Um, so I love that that's your, your takeaway advice. Um, Jen, thank you so much for the work that you do, for your passion, um, for your journey, and um, for just opening up and sharing your heart and just all this wonderful advice and, and just, just great conversation today. Can't wait to have you back. I'm already, I'm going to schedule you like as soon as we're done wrapping up here because I'm super excited. Um, and then I'm just going to remind everybody that they can find you at the Me Project, which is Prime Fitness. And on social media, that's Prime Fitness Inc., um, that will be also attached in the show notes. And um, yeah, I just thank you guys for listening, for being here today. And Jen, any any last comments? Otherwise, I will um, I'll I'll say thank you again, and we'll wrap up for today. And I will wish everyone light and love on their wellness journey. And uh, we will see you next time on What in the Wellness. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening today. If you're interested in being a sponsor or a patron of this podcast to help us develop more resources and get more exciting things out into the world about the global perspective on integrative wellness and health, please feel free to reach out via email or message. And I look forward to seeing you and the new subscribers that you're going to bring to the podcast as we go along on this journey. Thank you so much for being here and I wish you all the best and light and love as you continue throughout your day today.